Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Hi, everyone. Uh, If you'd like an outline, they're on the back table there. Feel free to just get up now and grab one, or if you'd like a Bible. uh, We will go to one other place in in the Bible today as well, and it might be helpful for you if you find that useful. As I get myself sorted, uh, you'll notice in, in the outline as well, um, I noticed some of my incompetence, uh, the part where it says examining our hearts, the headings underneath examining our hearts are different um, and they'll be obvious on the screen um, as they come up uh, point by point. want to ask God to help us uh, hear his word, be challenged by it and really get to grips with one last time Jonah because it's a fabulous book and there's a lot to challenge us by wherever we're at with God. So let's, let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this morning that we can uh, be here and uh, hear your word read to us uh, and, now, and now consider it. And we ask that by your spirit, we'll not only hear it and, and uh, have head knowledge about it, but our hearts will be transformed by it, by your Spirit. Amen. Let me ask you, have you ever had a mission? An important goal or purpose that you really wanted to achieve? You've you've had to have had something or other along the line. I had one. I had the desire to learn the guitar. I had a mate who was very good at the guitar and who said, oh, well, we're we're living in a house together for a week. I'll devote my time to you to learn the guitar. The mission was set. The goal was going to be achieved. Except for on Friday, he said, you know what? I reckon maybe look at something else. Mission failed. One of my first successful missions was I wanted to win a cricket 
championship. And in the under-15s, we won the grand final. My brother and his team was on the grand final the same day, and as you do when your brother's in that age, I took delight in that we won and he lost. But uh, it was good to win. I had the permission to get into uni. To succeed at year 12, is, that feeling is powerful. Those of you who have just been through it or are heading into year 12, the mission to succeed, to get where you need to go, just kind of ramps up. And then in the workplace, you have goals and purposes you want to achieve, missions that you need in life. What are they for you? What have you been desperate to achieve? You see, God has a single-minded mission driven by His heart's desire. And today, as it's been coming out in Jonah over the last two weeks, we see this mission in Jonah. It pushes us to examine God's heart and our own heart. And that's what we'd be doing whether we've had one, two, three or multiple missions in the past or you're in the middle of something now you're desperately trying to achieve, when we see God's heart and His mission, we need to examine our heart and realise we're supposed to have that same conviction. And so I reckon today is a very helpful reminder and corrective uh, to us as God's people of what it means to follow Jesus. And if you're working out what it means to follow Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're you're somewhere there trying to figure it out, it's, it's brilliant you're here because what you'll see today is hopefully is what matters to God. And that's really helpful. Why Christians have this focus and even more importantly, maybe what's at stake for you. That impacts us all. Now, as we've been journeying through Jonah, I was going to give us a bit of a summary of Jonah, but we kind of got that with the Minecraft video, right? Jonah, prophet of God, God tells him, you need to go to the Ninevites, they're super wicked. Okay, let's just think of them as as wicked as they could possibly be as a nation, and you ought to tell them to, God's going to destroy them. And Jonah doesn't want to go, he rejects God, runs in the other direction, goes back in the fish, gets spit, spat out, decides he'll go, does it, but then gets angry about doing it, so God teaches him a lesson with the vine, which we'll talk about in a moment. This whole drama is pointing us towards the theme that we've been looking at. That in chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah angrily says the most beautiful words. It's steeped in irony. Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He has great insight into God's character and he says it with bitterness. He says it with disdain. God is gracious, giving what others don't deserve and you do that. I knew you liked that and I don't like it. You're compassionate. You deeply care for others. As we saw in the first week, as uh, Peter gave us the whole overview of the book and we saw this challenge for us to be gracious and compassionate like God because he's slow to anger. He doesn't like wickedness. It does anger him, 
but his dealing with it is slow because of his grace and compassion. He is a saving God, which we focused on last week. And he has a plan. God's heart means that he has a plan. He has a plan that needs to be understood. And it's helpful to see this is not kind of some new thing that comes up in Jonah. That God's got a plan for us all, it's playing out in Jonah and it's all sorted. The whole picture of the Bible, the context of Jonah within the bigger story of the Bible is the plan. And so it's helpful for us, I think, actually to see in light of Jonah, I think it really kind of clarifies for us some things if we see in Jonah uh, what's going on in God's big picture. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, maybe open up to Genesis chapter 12 and come with me. Flick, flick to the first chapter in the Bible, to Genesis chapter 12. Because there we see God sorting out a plan. See, in Genesis chapter 12, God's doing something with, with a people. The Lord, chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God, through Abraham, is making a people for himself where they'll have a land that will be theirs with God's provision. There'll be many, those great offspring, and they're going to be blessed. And even more to that, which is super important, they're going to be a blessing to the nations. You see, this is not abandoned in Jonah. And it's really helpful for us to consider. You see, what God is doing, we need to remember is, His plans have never changed. His heart does not turn on a whim. You see, what God's done, what He's doing, He made humanity in His image. That's where the Bible starts. We're made in His image to rule under Him, to reflect His character. We know it's broken, we know it's shattered, and we talk about that often here at Grove. But He made humanity in His image, and then He makes a people, starting with Abraham, for Himself, to be in a special relationship to Him. A, everyone in His image, it's broken, so He's going to sort it out by making a people for Himself, starting with Abraham, which we just read. And then this people are going to be a blessing to the nations. And that all plays out in the big story of the Bible. And within this people comes one Christ, one Messiah in Jesus, which it all gets fulfilled in. But it's important to see that from this people, the nations will be blessed. God's plan has never changed. So when we get to Jonah and God tells Jonah to go to the nations, it's not a contradiction. It's not like, this isn't how you operate. You've got your people. Forget, forget Nineveh, they're wicked. It was always the plan for God's people to be a blessing to the nations. And there's one of God's prophets who's to go. God's plan is in motion. 
And it's important to remember, remember as well that this plan never changed because he's focused on one plan. And this one plan, there's no backup. We've had lots of discussions in South Australia about backups at the moment in regards to power. God doesn't need a backup plan. There's no A, B, C, D, E, oh, and then J, Jesus, and then it'll all work out. It's always been about Jesus. There's no need for many backups. It's always been about heading in the one direction. It's very much unlike the chaos I've got myself into with my photos. And I know this, uh, many of you would just cringe at how bad it is. The desperate, this was going on for over a year now where I, I wanted to get all my photos sorted in the one place. And you know how we've gone all electronic with our photos and you want to have them safe and you need them backed up, but then you try different platforms and you go from Google Photos to others and you take photos and different cameras and they all sync and it just gets all messy and... Oh man, I don't know where all our photos are and how to get them all up and trying to back them up. I'm in chaos trying to sort it all out and I'm pretty keen to do it because I'm pretty sure Jen doesn't want all our photos to be destroyed. That's not God's plan. It's not chaos where it'll work out in the end. It's a plan that doesn't need a backup because it's perfect and it's going to work and it's continuing on. This plan has always been to be a blessing to the nations. It's confronting and shocking when we see it even goes to a nation like Nineveh. But here we get an insight into how God sees people. That's what we get in Jonah. And it's a brilliant corrective for our hearts, I reckon. Because what we see with God, we see He has a missionary heart. His heart is to bring people to himself. And we see that play out in chapter 4. Have a look with me at chapter 4 of, uh, of Jonah. See, in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah finally has done what God wanted him to do. But he's angry about it. He's not happy. He wants to die. And so then in verse 4, God says to him very simply, He says, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah, I'm just, um, um, why? Have a think about it. Really? You're angry? Come on. Jonah, of course I do. Of course I have a right to be angry. Of course I have a right to be angry that your character is to be gracious and compassionate. Even saying it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? They're nowhere near on the same page. Jonah needs a lesson. Jonah gets a lesson in his own life. The illustration is what happens in his life. Jonah goes out in verse 5 and sat down at a place east of the city. I think he's sitting there. I reckon he's sitting there to see what's going to happen to Nineveh and his anger and his annoyance. Hopefully they won't properly repent and then they'll turn away. That's my speculation. But as he's sitting there stewing away, we see in verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And so, not surprising, 
when it's a scorching heat, Jonah was very happy about the vine. But the vine doesn't stay forever. Verse 7, at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, God provided. God provides and God takes away. This is the lesson that Jonah's been confronted with in his heat exhaustion. And God says to Jonah, as he wants to die again, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah doesn't get the lesson that's going on here and he's like, I'm angry enough to die. Jonah is angry about a vine. God cares about people. And so in verse 10, he said, you've been concerned about the vine even though you've done nothing to make it grow. You did not tend it or make it grow, he says. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. You've done nothing. And in verse 11, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. He says, look at these people. You're complaining about a vine that's going to give you a bit of shade for a moment. I'm, you've, I've just sent you to 120,000 people who have got no idea, Jonah. Should I not be concerned about them? What we're seeing is, is when we're confronted with God's heart as he teaches Jonah, the book purposely ends unresolved. It ends with God saying, I care for this city. So you have to consider is that your heart? Is it yours? Can you see how important it is to God, these people? Do we have this heart? That is what we're confronted with. You see, we need to examine our heart. Because I think sometimes, in many things in life, we make assumptions about what we think about things and over time they kind of get distorted. I know that's certainly the case in my life. If I don't consider things and reassess, things change. I'm very glad that the general practice of health professionals and doctors is not just to assume that's your problem when you go and talk to them. But when there's an issue, they say, well, let's run some tests. When I got really sick a couple of years ago and I, um, I, I think three, it always happened on a Saturday night, which was really annoying because everyone noticed, three Saturday nights in a row I got really, really sick and I couldn't go to church. Not in a row, it was like within a month, in a couple of months. And I got really, really sick and couldn't go, go to church and think, this is weird, it's not just a virus and I'm, I'm, it's not, not great, I need to go to the doctor and, and the doctor's like, oh, Probably gallbladder, that's the most likely thing, or something like that, kidney stones, something like that, very obvious. Some, you know, could be something like that. But we'll run some tests. I'm pretty glad, because I, I wouldn't have wanted my gallbladder to be dealt with when that wasn't the problem. Instead, 
I remember very clearly what my doctor said. My doctor said, you have a middle-aged, overweight, diabetic disease. That was a little bit uh, disappointing. Uh, I had, I had fatty, fatty liver. It turns out wicked wings aren't the best diet. I haven't had them since. I am glad assumptions weren't made. I'm glad. Because when assumptions are made, we can kind of miss the mark. Sometimes assumptions are right because they're usually based on the percentages, but it's not always the case. I think that can be the same with our heart. and We can trick ourselves that we get it right with our heart. We need to remember that we're this side of heaven in our hearts. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, want to serve Him, sin still affects us. And so we need to ask the question, is my heart God's missionary heart? And if we look at Jonah, it helps. That's the first point there, Jonah's heart, in this second section. Why was Jonah's heart so far from God? Maybe he's ignorant, maybe he's naive, maybe he's unwise to God. But hopefully you can answer that without me. You've seen, he's none of those things. He's a prophet of God. He knows who God is. He's part of his people. He knows the history of his people. He knows the way God's act. He knows who God is and his character with clarity. It's there in the book. His compassion. Jonah, rather, I think, doesn't like the way God is. I think his motives are revealed. He wants God's grace for himself and his people, but not for others. In chapter 4, look at verse 9, where he says, I do, I am angry enough to die. He's always wanting to die, Jonah, and he's got this relationship with God. It's so kind of clashes doesn't make any sense his response to God's grace and to the lesson that God's giving him is all distorted and in this chapter there's something quite um, uh, interesting that uh, was pointed out to me as I was uh, thinking through this chapter if you look at verse 1, when Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry, and then in verse 6, when Jonah's very happy about the vine, whatever translations uh, you've got there, the emphasis and the emotion behind those words is on the same level. He's just as angry as he is happy. Now, that's really bizarre. He's just as ecstatic about about the vine as he is angry at God and his grace and compassion. His joy over the shade is comparable to his disdain for God. As Simon, the guy who I was reading, Simon, that's his surname, not just his first name, Simon puts it, he says, Jonah's egotism and banality reach new depths when he becomes enraged explicitly over a vine. I have good reason? So far from the truth. Jonah is a prophet, but in reality, 
he's an enemy of God at this point. This is Jonah. See, when he was saved by the fish, he came with a prayer of deliverance. When confronted with the people of Nineveh and God's grace to them and their repentance, he'd rather die. He's been, Jonah's been described as a theological racist. And I think that's actually putting it helpfully. He didn't like God's grace. He was selfish. He had a callous heart to these people and he rejected the compassion that God showed them because they weren't part of his people. In, in fact, they were wicked. Let's not just think that they weren't part of God's people and, but they were a nice nation. They weren't. Jonah hated others that weren't part of Israel. That's what we're confronted with. So where do we go with this? Well, is any of this Jonah in your life? Maybe it's hidden away and it comes up at moments. On a national level, on a world scale, it often, we often see things bubble to the surface when there's a hot spot of something that happens in the world or in our nation. Maybe it's out in the open. How does God see people? God's grace and compassion is one of action. Jonah's petulant, nonsensical, absurd rebellion come to an end when God concludes this book. And we don't know what Jonah does. If it stays where it is here, he's not a friend of God. Jonah doesn't have the final word, God does. And that final sentence in verse 11 should pierce our hearts and minds. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So what are we seeing? I think our second point is we're seeing the book of Jonah points all Christians to mission not some not a few it's not just for those that are super super keen it's that our heart should have the same heart of God that his plan should be our plan and so it should be no surprise that when we get uh, to the Gospels and Jesus finishes his time we find out that what Jesus wants is people to become followers of him. And he tells his disciples to what? Does anyone know? What's he do in Matthew 28? He says, go and what? I can hear the whispers, no one's yelling out. <laughs> Make disciples. Thank you, Brian, it's good to see you. Make disciples. He says, go and make disciples. Let me open it up for you. Matthew 28. All of Jesus' last words. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' concern is that people from all tribes and nations become followers of him. When I wrote these talks um, last year, I um, got the privilege of going down to Trinity South Coast. Uh, they'd been going for a few months and I got to uh, do these uh, talks down there and they, some of the teenagers made the Minecraft video from South, South Coast. And, um, and as I was doing it, it became clear to me then what's become kind of integral to what we've started with and what we've had our focus being at Grove. Is that our focus by Grove is shaped by the love of Jesus. That's why we made that our priority. The Christ love compels us, and you're probably sick of me talking about 2 Corinthians 5, so I decided to not go into it like I did uh, with them. Christ's love compels us, he says. Um, Paul, when he's trying to tell the Corinthians why they go and tell people about Jesus, Christ's love compels us because they're convinced that one died and therefore all die in Jesus. We are compelled. The heart of Jonah is wrong. God's heart revealed in Jonah tells us that all Christians have this passion for wanting others to love him. Our soccer camp was called Ambassador's Soccer Camp. It's called Ambassador's Soccer Camp because of 2 Corinthians 5 where it says uh, that we're, all to, we're to be ambassadors of Christ. We represent Jesus. Have you thought about that? We represent Jesus. You can't just represent Jesus by being a nice person and leaving everything else to others. Representing Jesus is to represent his heart. And his heart is to have others love him and make disciples. As we share life, as we help others understand how to live for God. That is why that's our passion. That is why sharing Jesus is of utmost importance. If you're not a Christian here today, I hope you found that helpful to see the whole purpose of God's mission. It's kind of intense and maybe even get more intense as we, as we close. But what I want you to see, as all of us see, is His love and compassion, His grace is for you. Jesus' message was filled out more than Jonah's. See, the grace and compassion, the slow to anger, is where Jesus comes into the world to take your place, to die for you. Something you don't deserve is the grace, the compassion, the love he has to see what you need and to do that for you, to take all of God's wrath on himself for you. And the call to mission is not for you to be on mission, but first and foremost, for you to accept what he's calling for you. And I encourage you to consider that again today. That Jesus wants you to be with him as a follower of him, because that's God's heart. This if you want to call it, overemphasis on mission can be critiqued. It can be critiqued. My non-negotiable insistence that every Christian must be on mission, you can have a go at. Let me try and do that. 
You could say, well, you're just being a little bit full on, Michael. Just wheel it back a little bit. Yeah, okay, we want people to love Jesus, but let's just wheel it back a bit. That's not the kind of person that I am. We don't all need to have that passion. We don't have to be that worried. That, that, that's not an uncommon critique. You hear that regularly. But I think if we understand the spiritual reality and understand it rightly, that gets knocked on the head. In John chapter 3, verse 36, after Jesus talks about eternal life with Nicodemus, and those great verses in um, uh, verse 16 about um, him, his love, meaning he comes to die for us, there's some very strong words. But what we get is the unseen reality. Have a look, I did put these up on the screen for you. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. See, the argument that you're being a bit too over the top makes sense if all there is is what we can see. That our life now, just get on with life, Michael. Just do the best you can in your job. Be a nice person. Live a Christian life. Believe in Jesus. That's good. But don't get too over the top. Our security and our relationships and our friendships, having a nice church community, that's all, that's all good. But don't, you don't need to go over the top if this is all there is. But there's an unseen reality that is crucial. There's eternal life. There is eternity. Jesus wants us to be with Him into all eternity. The offer is there. Whoever believes in the Son, that is to trust and give your life to Jesus. But there's a flip side. As hard as it is here to he is to hear, it's important. It wouldn't be in the Scriptures if it wasn't. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. It's not that God may deal with you in the end. Our position before God without Jesus is that we're already in trouble because we've turned from Him. We need Him. But God's wrath remains on them is not an over-exaggeration. It's the, it's the unseen spiritual reality that the world faces without Jesus. We often have things in our life that we don't know, that are unseen. Sometimes we say things and we don't know the full picture. But they can be dealt with. But this unseen reality can't be dealt with the other side of eternity. It's the bigger picture. This is what we must never forget. It's the most loving thing we can do, is to never forget this reality. The people we love, the people we meet, the people in our community, where are they before God? 
I had a, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we had um, our, week, our weekend together, and we, uh, we had Saturday together as well, and we had um, my church planting mentor from Central Coast come, Dave Sheath. Um, the church that he planted from, Andrew Heard, his, his church, he came and spoke to um, Trinity and a whole bunch of us. And I went up and had a chat to him because you know what he did? It was pretty funny, actually. He was talking about how urgent it is, this message. And he said, so you may plant a church and start with about 30-odd adults. And I, okay, yep, that's what we did in March. And you may, after six months or so, get to about 70 or 80. And I went, okay. And then what's going to happen is, in those first weeks, you're desperate because you want anyone who has a sniff that they've heard about your church, you chase them down and, you, and you're going to drag them in because you want to survive, you don't want to die. <laughs> um, but then even after 70, 80, you're a church, you're functioning, people love each other, it's a community, it's great. And then things get a little less urgent just by the nature of things. And I thought, he's just kind of, wow, describe my mental headspace, that's a bit freaky. And so I went up to Andrew and I said to him, what, you've just described it, what do I, what do, I do? in my headspace. And you know what he said? He said, I'm no genius. I, I, people often tell me what, how to go about things because he started in a lounge room and now, and now he's got you know church of, of whatever thousand it is um, each Sunday. And he said, I'm no Jesus. If I have anything, it's this one thing. Clarity on the unseen reality that drives me. Clarity that Everyone around doesn't know Jesus and they need to and so I'm passionate about that. Jonah had clarity on the reality, he just didn't want to embrace it. God wants us to want to have people follow Him as well. So as we finish, we want to finish by considering our heart. Trinity Grove's heart. Your heart. We cannot be satisfied with our church wherever we're up to. I've loved these last seven months. It's been the most just enjoyable time of ministry. It's been crazy, but it's been brilliant. And I love having you all here and all the people that I've met that I would never have met if we didn't do it. And the relationships and people who are coming to understand Jesus with clarity and recommitting to church and the fellowship we have, it's brilliant. But we can never be satisfied. 30 to 80 is great. But there are thousands of people around who don't give God a second thought. And the unseen reality must be before us. Is our heart passionate for God's heart and what matters to Him? That's what's really confronted me in doing Jonah last year and this year. And it's been a year since I preached these, these, this um, Jonah. And you know what I've realised? There's no constant, it's no, okay, yep, now I'm passionate about it. It's, it's like kind of waves of life where I have times of really kind of losing that reality, losing the importance, wanting to have people follow Jesus and just kind of getting on with life. And it's helpful to come back and examine God's heart because that's what we're to do. One of our focuses at Grove is mission. 
When we talk about mission, what we're saying is we want to share Jesus. As it says, uh, one of the things on the, on the banner on my other side, sharing Jesus with people. And I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. How can we get greater clarity on that, that we all own that? And what I want us to continue to think about over and over is three things. We want to share, we want to welcome, and we want to invite. And that's for all of us to take hold of. We want to share Jesus with people, and I don't think you need to be freaked out about that. We want to just be able to share our story, don't we? How has Jesus impacted your life? I want to help you, as I work with it myself, be able to share, you know what, this is my, these were the problems I had in my life. I realized this is where I was turning away from God and, and this is what he, He's done for me. This is how grace worked out in my life. In the, in the bulletin on the back, um, forgetting the grammar because it was done late at night, so I'm sure it's dodgy, but over the last two months, I've, I've just written a little kind of snippet into aspects of my life and how God's changed it. And what I want us to do is to be able to continue to wrestle with how God changes us so we can share it with others. Sharing our story, being prepared to answer, I have no hope anymore. What gives you hope every day? Um, uh, I go to church or I have hope that there's something beyond the grave that there's life that will have this pain taken away. Sharing Jesus with anyone who wants to listen. We want to welcome people. Do you consider when you come along, if you're here for the first time today, I hope people were friendly to you when you came, but do you consider that your job when you come to church, if you have a mission for the gospel, for Jesus, is that you want people to actually feel like God's people want them to be here? But that's all our job. Do you think inviting people to church or to whatever course or whatever things that we do over the years is something for someone else and that person you know would never ever come? You know what usually happens at, a, at, at things when people come? The people that often turn up are the ones people never thought would and the ones you think would come don't because God will actually, well, He still stays sovereign and so, creating a culture where we invite people, they say no, we go, that's okay, <laughs> whatever. But we invite people to give them an opportunity because if we understand the unseen reality, we don't want to keep an invitation away from them. Where is your heart? Let me finish by just going back to Jonah 4, verse 2. And then you can just pause for a moment and reflect. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Give us your heart, God. Help us have your mission. Amen.